thing. It's showtime. Prepare for the ride of your life. Hey, you boneheads, this is Curb, and you're listening to TopCast with Norm and Shake. It's time to meet your maker. <laughs> you're listening to TopCast. This old pinball's online radio. For more information, visit them anytime. www.marvin3m.com slash topcast. Well, it's a Thursday night, and welcome to TopCast. I'm your host, Shaggy. Norm is on vacation tonight and won't be able to join us, but that's okay, because this is a Thursday night edition, a special weekday edition, where we don't do the normal uh, show format like we do on the weekend shows. Uh, instead, we have um, guests on that we, uh, that we interview, but I should mention a couple things that have happened during the week that... Uh, have changed some perspectives in that and uh, made some things easier and some things harder. Uh, first thing is, is now we are on iTunes. If you have an iPod and you want to hear uh, TopCast, this old pinball's uh, pinball radio show, and you want to hear it on your iPod, it's real easy. Uh, you can go to our webpage at marvin3m.com slash TopCast. And uh, across the top, there's some links. Uh, one link is an FAQ. And if you go to the Frequently Asked Questions section, you can scroll down and it'll tell you exactly how to get, um, get Norman Shaggy's TopCast on, uh, on your iPod via iTunes. So that's uh, kind of a new thing. What we're going to talk about tonight on TopCast is uh, the UK, that is United Kingdom, pinball scene. Now a lot of people uh, listen to this show, they're probably based in the United States or North America, and... You know, we kind of get this perspective that pinball isn't an all-American thing. You know, made in Chicago, born and raised there. But that may not really be the case. Um, I mean, during the 90s, uh, half the production, actually more than half the production from Gottlieb and from Data East was exported out of North America. And where did it go? It went to, you know, it basically went to Europe. Uh, Germany, the U.K., Belgium the Netherlands, a lot of those countries are very, very strong in pinball. And, the, and part of the problem with people in North America is we kind of give it a view that those people aren't that important to the pinball scene when they really, really are. And sometimes we just don't know what's going on over there. So what I did is I brought in a couple guests, um, and we're going to talk to them. Uh, we're going to call them up, and we're going to talk to them on the air. Uh, about the UK, United Kingdom, or England pinball scene. So, without any further ado, special guest, special guest, special guest, special guest. Her first guest is going to be Phil Palmer of Pinball Heaven. Phil, uh, Phil has a company that he's been running for a while out in the UK, and uh, he's a pretty in- interesting individual. Uh, I'm going to give him a call. He stayed up late so that we, because of uh, the time zone differences, so I'm going to give him a call right now. Hold on a second. All right, we're going to give him a call. 
let's try and get Phil on the line here. Okay, we got it ringing. Okay, Phil. Phil Palmer, how you doing? I've got uh, Phil Palmer from Pinball Heaven in the UK, and um, Phil's been involved with pinball for since when? When did you get involved with pinball, Phil? Uh, Sixteen years ago is when I bought my first pinball machine when I was just fourteen years old. Okay, and what? Uh, what? How did that come around? I mean, what brought that on? It was all down to an interest in um, electronics and an amusement machines. I mean, my dad started. He had an antique shop, and he was buying the old wall machines and jukeboxes and things. And I sort of was interested in buying a few pinball machines. And because I live in a seaside town, I, I went to the pleasure pleasure beach where all the old amusement machines were and I bought a couple of pinballs from there and it, it just went on from there really I enjoyed fixing them and restoring them and still doing it 16 years later and what um, uh, you were only what did you say 14 years old that's right and what uh, what was the name of the game that you first bought the first one I bought was a Gottlieb electromechanical called centigrade 37 okay you still have it no I sold it a few years ago so are you good at fixing the EMs or are they just the solid states or both well, I was really good at fixing the EMs, but then I sort of moved on to fixing all the uh, solid-state stuff, which is why I got rid of the, the you know, the Gottlieb Centigrade, because I, my interest went from electromechanical games into more solid-state games, like with the era of Adam's Family was coming out, games like that, I was more interested in fixing those, and certainly for the, for the business point of view, there wasn't really much market or interest in fixing those older games, as there was a need for people to fix the newer games. Yeah, you see over here the EMs are still really strong, but I guess it's a completely different market in the UK, eh? Uh, EMs in the UK are virtually worthless. You, you can't really give them away. Even if you, if you look at the likes of eBay in the UK, EM games typically go for like two or three hundred dollars, and it doesn't really matter what title it is. They're all the same. No one really wants them. And why, why do you think that is? Why do you think they're so popular over here and not over there? I, th I think over there it's, it's a lot different. People sort of lost, uh, reminisce, I think, a lot more about the uh, the golden age of pinball. Where over here people just want sort of the, the classic era, as they call it now, which is like the Adams Family era to you know Circus Voltaire, all the '90s Williams ones, because that's what a lot of, a lot more people over here sort of remember playing in pubs and, and arcades more than the old stuff. You do get a few people interested in the old titles, but not as many as you do in the, the modern titles. And you're in uh, Merseyside, right? Yes. And where, what's, uh, that's right on the coast? That's right on the coast. Okay, so you're right on the Atlantic Ocean, eh? Yeah, well, it's between, it's between, between Ireland and, um, and England, so it's not actually the Atlantic at that point. It's the Irish Sea or something like that. Okay, and when you were a kid growing up, were there a lot of, like, boardwalk-style amusement places along the, uh, along the water? Yes, there's a lot of arcades in Southport because it is a it is a seaside resort. Okay, and do you remember playing any of that stuff? Yeah, I mean that's what sort of um, I got into in the arcades at the time until I actually started the business as Pinball Heaven when I was 18, and then I just had all all the modern games, you know, in my unit at the time. Well, when you were uh, when you were like, what titles were you playing when you were uh, you know a kid at the at the seaside? Well, it was all the old electromechanical games, I can't really remember, but it was like stuff like Gorgar and Speakeasy and Arrogans and games like that were, were what was really left over in the seaside resort, because seaside resorts over here, they don't tend to invest in the latest equipment, they sort of run whatever they bought into the ground. Yeah, because when I was a kid, I, I, I don't even remember much electronical uh, games at all, I, I'm actually older than you. Yeah. You know, so uh, it, I, it's, it's kind of cool that, you know, you were, when you were a kid, which 
you know, um, you know that there was still EMs hanging around. Yeah, there wasn't many, but there was a, there was a good um, between six and six and ten in Southport that I remember. As I, I think in the end, I bought most of them anyway. So when you were eighteen, you opened all heaven. What you know, I mean, you have like a business plan or anything, or you just buying and selling games? It didn't sort of buying the games, but there was a. It was. It started really because when I was buying those old games from the town I lived in, there was no one around to fix them. Not just in in my town, but basically in the whole of the United Kingdom, there was no one really you could ring up and sort of get get help fixing your pinballs. And so I ended up having to figure out how to fix them myself. And it went on from there that I thought, well, if I need help fixing them, then other people will need help fixing them, and that's, that's how it started. So were you doing like in-home repairs, or were you doing, you know, uh, like for operators, or what? I was doing it for operators. They were just sending me sort of circuit boards and ringing up for technical advice, which no one else really could provide here because no one knew what I'd learned very quickly. No what? one was that interested in pinballs because all of the bigger amusement machine distributors were only really interested in the, the, the slot machines. And there was no one really set aside time to learn enough about pinballs to help all these operators. Now, when you say slot machines, you mean like the conventional three-reel slot machines, or, or are you talking about fruit machines? What do, what do you mean? Yeah, well, it's conventional three-reel three slot machines, but they're called fruit machines over here. So it's the same thing? Yeah. So why do they call them fruit machines? Because they've got symbols of fruit on the reels normally. Oh, that's the only reason they call them fruit machines? Yeah. You mean that you don't get an apple as a payout? No, occasionally if you get a jackpot, you can get a bunch of bananas coming out. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so... Now, at the time, was Clive Jones around too? He was. I was. I dealt, dealt quite a bit with Clive. He was. He was buying a few parts off me, and I, I sold him a few machines. And, and I was quite interested in all the stuff that Clive had actually learned. Because Clive was. Clive thought was very, very clever. All he'd written quite a few articles on on pinballs, and uh, I found them most interesting. His, his knowledge is way beyond what I knew at the time, because he was more theory based than what I was. I'm more practical based. I could I could fix a fault by someone describing it over the phone, whereas Clive would probably understand the theory but not the actual practice of it. In no respect to Clive, he's still a very good friend. And where is he located at that time? I think he was in Slough in London, around London. So that's a few hours from you. It's about four hours drive from me. Yeah. Okay. Okay. But so, how did you come to know him? He just he just phoned me up one day for uh, a few spares. I think I found came to know most people. Have, you know, they've responded to one advert of mine or another, and I've known, known most people now, really, I think, here. Hmm, okay. And now, he's he's over in the States now. I believe he's in uh, North Carolina. That's right, he is. Yeah, yeah. So, uh, do you still talk to him? I think occasionally, but I, I don't think he does as much with pinballs as, as, he, as he did. Oh, you mean he's gotten out of that? I don't know. I don't know how much he does, because he was doing coin-op cauldron fixing board repairs, but I think he was getting a bit fed up with the condition of some of the boards like like you've said on your repair guys a lot a lot of the boards are now hacked by idiots who can't repair them right and, and he just gets discouraged by that stuff because it's like you've got to dig yourself out of a hole before you even try and fix the problem exactly and it's just it just ends up really it's not worth doing because the people have made such a mess of it right you just think well there's no point doing this because i'm just going to waste a whole day doing it right right okay so you started out at 18 now um you with pinball heaven in the in yeah. the UK, and then you know I mean how did things progress? I mean I you know I heard about a few years ago you were doing restorations and you were winning some awards and that. Why don't you tell us about that kind of stuff? 
Yeah, well, I mean, I started obviously pinball having adv advertised in conventional ways in magazines and pinball activities in the UK, but advent of the internet, I mean, I think websites been online now for many years. Uh, that saw in the business really took off, and in I started shipping to the states. I mean, at that point, I think a few years later, I did uh, made pinballheaven.com, which was the same website, but everything was based in dollars for shipping parts and machines to the states, but. These days, with the price of shipping has gone up so much, and the way the dollar-pound exchange rate is, it's it's not really worth shipping machines to the U.S. anymore, unfortunately. So, are you um, you most of your clientele then is in the U.K. then? Yeah, it's in it's in the U.K. But I mean, for parts, I still ship worldwide every day. I mean, I ship some days I ship more to the U.S.A. than I do to the whole of Europe. Well, what so type it's of still a, still a very big market for us? And what type of parts are you selling? Um, that you know is unique. There's something that you know maybe only you have. Well, obviously there's the stuff we make, like the scared stiff frogs, the um, Star Trek cannon looms, a few troll flaps for medieval theater magic ram, uh, ram protectors and flaps, things like that. You can only get from Pinball Heaven. Okay. But, you know, every, even everyday parts go back to the states. It's amazing, but I guess it's because my website is just e more easily found occasionally than than some of the US sellers. Right, fair enough. Now, what is your relationship with uh, with Wayne in 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 um, in Australia? Uh, Wayne's become a very good friend of mine. Okay, is that a good thing? I think so. Okay, well, tell me about it. What, well, tell me about Wayne and what you guys have uh, whooped up, and you know what's going on there. I just have a lot more confidence that Wayne will actually produce pinball machines than uh, Illinois Pinball ever will. Although Wayne's made himself a few enemies in the past, but I think really. Gene Cunningham's got no future in, in pinballs because how long has he had an only pinball now? And he's, he's only made about 20 Big Bang bars, hasn't he? Um, I don't know. He shipped them during the summer of 06. He, he shipped all the European ones because of that lead solder. Um, yeah, the Rojas. He had, well, he had to ship then, or not at all, basically. Right. So all those people got their games, and then the people in the States are all kind of waiting for theirs, and, and you keep hearing that it's coming, it's coming, it's coming, you know, next month, next month. And it keeps on, you know, keeps on rolling. I, yeah, you know, I, I don't. From what I understand, that from people that have seen it, they say that he is near completion of that project. That it's that they they went to his warehouse and they were like, whoa, look at all the boxes. You know, like all these, all the done machines, all in boxes. Because he wants to wait until he has them all done and ship all in one day, uh, for whatever well, reason. Well, that, that is fair, and I, I hope he does well, and I hope he goes on to make something else. I just don't see the ability there with how few parts IPB actually made in the first two or three years after Williams after they bought Williams rights. I don't think anything came out of there virtually for about eighteen months. Yeah, he's uh, he's disorganized. That's for sure. There's there's no doubt about that. That his organizational skills aren't um, as good as we would all like. So so with Wayne, how, I mean, how do you feel with you know with Wayne and his kind of legal prowess and and you know. A lot of the things he's been doing, he's not made a lot of friends along the way either. He hasn't, but I think if anyone paid a million dollars for the rights to use the Williams name, they'd want to protect their investment as much as possible. Right. But you really think that he's going to make the medieval manises and, and so on and so forth? I certainly hope so. I don't have any reason to disbelieve that. He, he tells me something every every week about he's, he's made, he's got such and such ready for it, and he is, he is making progress, and look at how many parts he's made in the last few years. There's loads of parts that is, that's come into being yeah, in but circulation I mean, now. The, you know, the, the little bit parts, though, you know, that's the easy stuff. 
you know, the things that concern me is a wiring looms. Does he have an entire wiring harness made for medieval madness? Playfields. Does he have playfields for you know, these are the big things. Translates playfields, wiring looms, cabinets I, I is a big issue as far as physical, but I, I you know, I, I don't think that's a huge issue because heck there was a company here in the States. Yeah, big, big time cabinets are making those, so that, right. that can't be the biggest issue. The biggest issue, as you say, is going to be A, the, the play field, and B, the wiring harness. But it's it goes beyond that, too. I mean, he needs the board sets, too, and the ASIC chip used for not only for the CPU board, but also for the audiovisual board is going to be a major catastrophe for him, and I don't know if he's ever going to be able to get past that. I, th I, think, I think he has got a solution for that whether you, or not he'd want me to discuss it I'm not sure so well, but I'm, you, I'm pretty sure he's he's come across that problem and he's solved it you think so huh I think so I think the biggest hurdles now is the play is basically the play field that doesn't even seem like that would really be a huge issue in itself I mean there's certainly companies that have made play fields exactly um but I think the biggest the biggest problem for him is going to be I mean I can't imagine how much of a headache it would be to build a thousand pinball machines when you've not built them before Right. Well, yeah. I mean, I mean, know. as Illinois Pinball have found out, how much of a headache they had with that. I mean, I don't know how many full-time staff they have there. Yeah, you know. Also, like Wayne's reputation kind of precedes him, and I mean, he, every time he posts, it was like, oh my God, could the guy dig a hole any deeper? Um, yeah. And his, though, I have heard, you know, during this decade, a, a lot less of those stories. You know, maybe he's, you know cleaned up a little bit his certainly his his um his message posting style and his pr style it certainly leaves a lot to be desired he, he's no, he's nobody that i would give any money to up front now i mean i'm not saying i would never buy anything from him but i i just um just based on his prior actions that i've witnessed um i you know i could never give him give that guy money on, on a on a promise um, now, once he actually has things in hand, okay, fine. But to actually, you know, because you're basically, if you're if you're buying a medieval or whatever, you're you're loaning him money. You know, that's essentially yeah. what you're doing. Well, let's just hope for the sake of Barry Williams pinball machine that something does come out of it and it will be good. I would I rather that's the only future really for the pinball market. I'm not sure really about Stern's future, but honestly, they've come out with a few good titles recently. Yeah, I would rather have Wayne making new games. Like his crocodile hunter, then you know redoing. You know they made at least three thousand medieval madnesses. It's not like they're rare, you know. Um, no, but they are rare in good conditions because they're all worn out now. Well, you know I don't know so much about that. Um, if somebody's making playfields and they certainly make cabinet decals, um, you know any of that stuff can be repaired. Um, you know to to remake those games, I just and to make a thousand of them, I just don't. I don't know. It's not the it's not the road I would have gone down, you know. But, you know, new machines, though, because, you know, you also got to look at it from an operator's point of view. You know, okay, we had that machine back in 97. Why do we want to buy it again? You know what I mean? That would be my thought as an operator. You know, you'd want something new. Um, but, I mean, that's a 10-year-old title now. People are in the pubs and the amusement arcades now are probably different to the people that were in the pubs and amusement arcades 10 years ago. And Medieval Madness is still a sort of A-list machine both right. for earnings and, you know, home users. So you're saying that a, a recycled title isn't such a bad thing? I think if it's the title's correctly chosen, I'm not convinced about Cactus Canyon, but I'm convinced that 
medieval madness and attack from Mars um, possibly Monster Bash would be would be good titles to reproduce because they've still got life in arcades well I look at it kind of like what Bally did you know Bally had that uh, hit in 72 Fireball and then they basically recycled that title you know Fireball Classic Fire, you know they had at least two or three other incarnations of Fireball and I don't think any of them did anywhere nearly as well as the original did when it you know first came out and they all came out about 10 years later so it's a kind of a similar formula and it really didn't do that well you know so based on past history I, I just don't know if it's such a such a good um, a good choice to throw your money at you know what I mean from a, an investment point of view well I don't know about an investment point of view but if, you, if you've got someone who wants sort of one of the best if not the best pins ever produced and they don't want one that's or they want a new one which basically is how I'm finding that the market over here at the moment people don't want particularly second hand machines anymore they want new so I think they'd rather have a new medieval because it's like one of the best than perhaps a new family guy or a Pirates of the Caribbean well speaking of which do you sell Stern games? yes okay and how does that go for you? pretty good I still sell quite a lot I mean I only bear in mind the UK is not a massive market still shifting quite a few pirates and family guys due into was in about a week or two now now are you an actual stern distributor now no there's only one stern distributor in the uk but we work very closely with them and do they um you've obviously talked to stern about trying to be a distributor right yeah and they're, they're just not interested in helping you well it's it's an old old gentleman's agreement there's only one distributor per country and oh. that's how it stands right i'm not really i'm not really sure i would want to be the exclusive stern distributor because I wouldn't want to be stuck with having a container of every machine they made. Why is that? Have, is I wouldn't have been thrilled at a container of World Poker Tour coming my way because I, maybe in the States it's different, but over here it's a really, really bad scene because no one's heard of it. Right, right. I, I don't suspect that title did, you know, real... I mean, it certainly didn't do as well as Pirates, you know. I, did Pirates do well for you? Yeah, Pirates definitely one of the sort of top three selling machines out of Stern, Lord of the Rings being the most popular, and Simpsons, and then Pirates. Okay. So, so what about Family Guy, or has nobody heard about that in the UK? No one's really heard about that. I have sold a few before they've even come in to a few people that do actually see it on the cable channels over here. But it's not it's not as widely recognized theme as sort of Simpsons or something like that would be. Right, right, right. Okay. So let's just hope it does well, but I don't really think it will. I mean, I've only got about five or ten on order, and I'd be surprised if I, if I have to reorder those. So that show doesn't appear on, on the TV at all there? Only on cable channels, not like the main channels. It's just sort of some of the more obscure channels. Right. Yeah, it's kind of a, a, kind of a strong uh, underground theme. It's not as strong as The Simpsons here, but it certainly has its following. Um, it, it's more, um, you know, like Simpsons is kind of an edgy cartoon. This is probably even goes a, a step further than that as far as edginess. Right. Um, you know, it, it's kind of an interesting show. I kind of like it, but, I, you know, it's not like I watch it every week or whatever. Um, yeah. You know. Well, we'll just have to see. But I just I just can't help but feeling it's, it's not, not a great theme, especially for the UK, maybe for the US. It's, it's all right. But Stern clearly based the production on the US sales rather than outside the US. Right. Now, did... Speaking of another one that really doesn't apply to the UK, how did NASCAR do? Terrible. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> <laughs> Even with it relabeled, what did they relabel it? Formula One? Grand, it was Grand Prix over here. Grand Prix. And it still didn't do well? 
It didn't do well. I thought I thought it was pretty much one of the worst games I've, I've ever played. I don't even think I finished a, a full game on it when I had them new. I just played a couple of balls on it and thought this is really bad and just switched it off and left it. What did you not like about it? I just didn't like it at all. Okay, and you, and that was the general consensus over there. Yeah. Yeah, I think over here because of the NASCAR label, it it certainly uh, got it some extra mileage, so to speak. You know. So what uh, what other Sterns have been good or bad for you? I mean, you you know, you talked about the A list. You know, what are some of the B lists or some of the sleepers? Well, I mean, the only decent ones really have been Lord of the Rings, which we sold about fifty of those off, which is quite a lot for the UK. No, I mean, normally they only import about sixty six to to a hundred new new Stern pins in the UK. A hundred being a, a very exceptionally high number. Hmm. Now, are um, you also associated with some of the pinball shows in in the country? Yes, well, I was sort of co-organizer for the UK Pinball Show a couple of years ago, and it, it ran again last last year. They are doing a similar one this year. Um, I'm not going to be able to attend this year, though, unfortunately. Why is that? Well, I've just got a, a little baby boy that I've got to look after. I've just moved house. I'm moving the business in a couple of months. Are you so staying in Merseyside? I don't really want to be doing pinball shows. Right, are you staying in Merseyside? Lanc- I'm moving up to Lancashire. It's, it's virtually the same. It's only about 10 miles away. Okay. I'm just moving the business nearer where I live. Right. Is it a bigger facility? Yes. Okay. Okay. And now, how many people do you have working there? Only a couple. Okay. And what is, I mean, what is the your primary base business? Is it selling new machines or reconditioned machines or parts? or? It's selling parts and providing a, re- a repair service. I mean, we can get... You know, between half a dozen and ten circuit boards in a day to repair. Really? Which have all got to be turned around, usually within like 24 hours, because it's it's operators who've got machines in pubs, clubs, and arcades. And basically, obviously, while the machine's off, it's not taking any money for them. And it, how is, you know, from an operator's point of view, how is operating pinballs in the UK? Is it still good money? No, it's, it's terrible, really. That's why the pinballs declined a lot over here, because pinballs take up so much space that a lot of pubs don't want them because they figure they can get, well, two fruit machines in the space, or they could probably get about six people in there, and they'd make more money with those six people drinking beer than they would off a pinball. So are slot machines legal in pubs? Yes. I mean, do you have to have a special license? or you? Just well, they're, they've only got a small jackpot in pubs. I think it's equivalent to about 50 or $60. It's not like a, a big Vegas slot machine. Right, right. Well, you're saying that's where the operators make most of their money? Well, they're the most popular because although operators can't actually split the takings, they can only do a, a rental to the pubs. Hmm. But it's down to the pool tables and everything like that. Well, pinballs are too much work for, for your average operator. I mean, obviously, that goes worldwide, but especially in the UK, they're just a loss leader. A lot of operators will put a pinball in a pub if it means they can put two or three fruit machines in, a jukebox, uh, and so forth. So, I mean, with this business model, though, it doesn't sound like, you know, your business has a real longevity to it, but you've been doing okay, right? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, can you keep going? I think so, as long as pinballs are popular, which I'm sure they will be for a long time to come. Okay, how about pinball in the homes? Is there much of that in the UK? Yeah, I mean, 50% of our business is is home sales, and 50% looking after operators and selling new games to arcades. And are you still able to find, you know, quality 90s machines for restoration? It's getting very, very hard. I mean, restored machine prices in the UK are, are really, really expensive now. It's uh, it's shocking how much they are. Right. Because I remember I used to buy containers from you. You did? Yeah, yeah. And I mean, I haven't gotten one. It's been a number of years. 
Um, it was fun though. I like buying crap from you. It was always yeah, uh, always interesting. The dead animals. Well, there's, there's just not there's no no decent machines really because they're all so old. It's like when I when I got into the business, it was the equivalent of you know restoring 70s games, which at the time were clapped out or you know wrecked, and now we're finding like the Adams families and all those early games. They're just the same. They're just they're just wrecked. Yeah, but I mean, and if you can get new play fields for Adams families, which you kind of can. Um, if you can get cabinet decals, you can definitely get those. Uh, I mean, can't you? Isn't that enough to bring these machines back up to par? Yes, it is. But you still got a lot. You still got a lot of work, haven't you? And you've got to find not only an Adams family, but you've got to find an Adams family with a, a decent structural cabinet. You know, with it's not rotten or it's not falling apart before you can you, you go to the trouble of putting new cabinet artwork on it. Right. And they end up being see, so much time to do it that. I have done that. I've done about six Adams families, you know, totally reborn, new artwork everywhere, new playfield, new plastics, and everything like that. But they're just—they're really hard to sell because they end up costing so much money. They cost. They were selling those at more than the new game. Right. Were people buying them though? Obviously, right. Yeah, yeah, people buying them because they, they obviously remember Adams Family as the, you know a great game, and most Adams families are out there are wrecks, so they wanted a mint one, and that's what they got with the, with the new playfield and new cabinet. Right. Now. How about in neighboring countries? I mean, do you, people buy pinballs, you know, like from France, from you? They do, but we don't sell that many machines to places like that. We do sell machines to, obviously, all, all the European countries, like uh, Finland and Netherlands, places like that. But just, just not in any quantity. It's, it's quite unusual. You might sell one every three months to Europe. Right. Is it just, it just the, there's other shops that they can buy from, or...? Or I think obviously there's all all the official distributors in those respective countries that, that they buy from. Right, so they don't need to come to come across the border to you. No, but I mean I sell loads of parts to to all these European countries on a daily basis. That's that's really the core of the business now is part part sales and repairs. Gotcha. Okay. All right, cool, Phil. Is there anything you want to add? No, it's been nice talking to you again after all this time. I'll, I'll find you some more containers so I can stick a load of old rubbish in for you. Yeah, I love it. You know, like I, you know, I get a, I get a bunch of games from Phil and find a dead cat in one of them that you put in there special just for me. Well, it will be a dead something else next time. Yeah, dead that, raccoon. Yeah, thank you, thank you very much. All right, Phil, will you take care? I appreciate the call. All right, Clay. All right, bye. Cheers. Bye. Okay, well, that was Phil. Thank you very much, Phil. I really appreciate you letting us call you, especially this late at night. Just to kind of give you uh, a relative idea of what we're talking about when I was buying stuff from Phil. It was kind of cool. I, I saved an old email. Actually, Norm saved it. And this was, I believe, in um, the end of 1998 or early 1999. I bought a uh, half container from him. And let me just give you a rundown of what I bought from Phil. I bought a Star Trek Next Generation for $340. Actually, I bought three of those. I bought an Indiana Jones for $483. Uh, this is um, the, the U.S. dollars, by the way. Um, it was 320 pounds at the time, which translated to $483. Um, Police Force bought a couple of those, 100 pounds each, or at the time was $151. Bought two NBA fast breaks, one with no pick chip for $642. And another one with no DMD display for $300. Um, I bought a uh, Bonsai Run from him for 300 pounds or 450 bucks. 
excuse me, bought a uh, diner for a hundred pounds or a hundred and fifty dollars. Actually, a friend of mine has that game now. It actually is a pretty nice game. Uh, at least I thought it was. Phil has a really uh, high expectations on game quality, so it was it was easy to buy from him. You know, anything that had any kind of any kind of uh, wear, he would he would just sell to me. Star Wars trilogy with no driver board, two hundred pounds or three hundred bucks. Johnny Mnemonic. Uh, 550 bucks. Judge Dread, 225 dollars. Uh, a couple Tommies for 500 dollars each. Roadshow for 525 dollars. Stargate for 330 dollars. Two Creatures for 600 dollars. A Medieval Madness for uh, 1500 dollars. Uh, that was uh, that one. I actually still have, and it's actually I I I don't know why he sold that to me. I have yet to be able to figure that one out. Uh, three Twilight Zones, six hundred dollars each. I, I'm sorry, four, five, four, five, six, six Twilight Zones, six hundred bucks each. Um, and that was back in the old days, back in the old days. But uh, you know, I thought that was it was kind of fun, kind of fun stuff. You know what what I did with him. Well, we're gonna take a little break. Uh, again, this is uh, this is Shaggy from this old pinball, and then you're listening to the Topcast. Uh, I'm gonna run a uh, an ad now, and uh, I'll be right back. The Pin Game Journal is a proud sponsor of TopCast. It covers pinball like no other publication can. The Pin Game Journal is America's only pinball publication. Whether you're looking for new games or the classics, reports on industry shows or collector expos, insights on a game you want or features to help you fix the game you've got, Pin Game Journal is for you. Their website is at pingamejournal.com. Think you have what it takes to get out of TopCast? So do we. Truth is, we can't get enough of these personal promos. You know, hi, this is Rick Swanson. This is Eric A. Hey, this is Flippy. Hey, this is Curb, and you're listening. Hey, Vinance, this is Mr. Hyden. So if you have a sensational desire to hear yourself plugging Topcast on virtual radio, and we really hope you do, send the corn an email, and he'll give you instructions on how you can be on the next show. T-H-E-K-O-R-N at T-H-E-K-O-R-N dot net. Corn at thecorn.net and we'll get you fixed up right away and probably on the next show. This is Jim from Arcade Rehab thanking you for listening to this edition of Topcast. Topcast, where spam is canned meat and not our marketing strategy. This is Jim from Arcade Rehab reminding you that you are listening to this old pinball's Topcast, where electrical tape is used to cover bare wires and not to cover a female's large protuberances on your favorite pinball backlash. Hi, this is Jim from Arcade Rehab. If you have no problem laying out a six large to have a pinball machine restored for you that you won't even play, you may be tuned into the wrong internet pinball broadcast. Topcast with Norman Shaggy. If you don't do it yourself, you won't learn nothing. Okay, we're we're back, and uh, now we have a uh, we've got a, another guest, another another guest lined up. So it's time for special guest, special guest, special guest, special guest. Okay, our next guest is another UK guy. Uh, his name is Nick Bennett, and Nick uh, runs Pinball Anonymous uh, out of the UK. And uh, let's give uh, let's give Nick a call. He's waiting for our call right now. Hold on a second. Let's get him hooked up here. You guys don't need to hear all that dialing. Okay. Let's get his 
ringing. Okay, here we go. Nick, 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 how you doing? Nick from UK. And uh, Nick, you're heavily involved in the pinball scene in uh, in the UK. Why don't you tell me uh, tell me what all you're involved with over there and, and how you got into pinball? Give me the whole story, start to end. <laughs> right. Okay, well, just like um, many people my age, I'm mid-30s, I, I grew up when pinballs were everywhere to be seen in the arcades and the seaside resort. Um, I'm from the south coast near Brighton, the pier in the late 80s and early 90s was, was awash with pinball machines. You know, all up one side was pinball machines galore, and I spent many a, many an hour putting my, my pocket money and then my wages into these pinball machines, and then I moved away from the coast and really forgot about it. Then... I think I, I must have gone camping in the mid-90s and played a creature from the Black Lagoon and, and I thought, I'm going to buy me one of these. And um, I did. I, I think it was um, on eBay and I, I just bid what I was willing to pay, which probably was more than it was worth, but this, this, these things happen. Now, how many years ago was that? I think 97 I bought my creature, but then within about four months I had uh, probably about 30 pinball machines. Um, so it got a bit, it got a bit crazy. And how many do you have now? Um, well, at the minute, not very many. Um, after I sort of got the bud badly, I, I was buying and buying, and then I realised I had to sell, obviously, a couple to make some space and to fund some replacements. And um, the first couple I sold went for more than I bought them for, and I thought, hey, this is good. Um, so I started doing a bit of buying and selling, and before I knew it... Um, I'd, I'd gone over a threshold that the, the good old tax in the UK said I had to register for, for, for tax um, just through the turnover of machines I was trading. So we um, set ourselves up with a brand, which is Pinballers Anonymous. Um, but we have families and jobs as well, and it's, it's me and a couple of friends. So and you couldn't, um, in the UK, are you saying it's, it's hard to kind of casually buy and sell without committing yourself to being a company? Not really. We just got to the stage where people, you know, had learned we were doing it, and you know, friends would buy machines from me, and they'd tell their friends. And it got to the stage, you know, we're talking um, to register for tax. Probably you're talking, you know, one machine of a thousand UK pounds, so probably two thousand dollars a week, or a couple of machines that make that. So it's not a huge ask. Many, many hobbyists do it on a on a smaller scale, um, but you know, we just kind of grew and grew and then we created our brand and but we you know we decided we didn't really want to do it because we wanted to make money from it we wanted to do it because we were enjoying doing it so we actually set up a company and registered as profit free um a it took the pressure off us b you know people knew where we stood um it, it wasn't a source of income obviously we now we have overheads we've got a purpose-built premises um but we, we, you know, we still run as a hobby we all work as well and have you know jobs and families to juggle so just something we enjoy. So you have an actual hard shop, a brick and mortar, as they call it. And yeah, we we used to rent um, an old school hall um, until a couple of years ago, um, and then a friend of mine had a, a derelict barn on his farm, and um, we converted that into our workshop. It had no roof; it literally had three walls out of four. We we totally transformed it. Uh, I think it's um, two thousand six hundred square feet. Uh, I don't know if you do feet and inches over there, but yeah, we sure do the feet. Is. Yeah, we do the feet. Yeah, we're, yeah we're, not, not quite sure how many that country. is in metres, but it's big. I think if I had them all up on end, I can have about 240 pinball machines here. That's so quite big. Where do you get your inventory from? Because, you know, I used to buy containers 
from Phil at uh, Pinball Heaven. And, you know, it's been years since I did that because he's just, he can't find anything anymore. You know? No, we get, we, you know, Pinball Heaven turned out some beautiful, beautiful machines. And then there's other dealers in the UK who do similar, perhaps not as nice, but similar work. And, we, you know, a lot of people want the top titles, the Indiana Joneses, Monster Bashes, Circus Voltaires, but they don't want to pay fully restored money. They'd rather have one that works, you know, and look after them, it's wrong. But so we're turning out, hopefully, affordable machines. Um, you know, don't want to pay top money. Um, so we, we kind of have stool not to, you know, the existing traders fit. But where do you actually get your machines, your inventory from? Uh, until a couple of years ago, I was doing a lot of work in Europe, um, especially Belgium. The pinball scene in Belgium is fantastic because they have basements and outbuildings and things. The average collection over there is a lot larger than the UK. Yeah, I mean, um, I used to buy containers from Belgium in the, I would say... Uh, 96, 97, I must have bought eight containers of games from Belgium, and they were beautiful. I mean, you know, not everyone was obviously perfect or anything, but the games were just, they were they were really nice. I was getting them, one of the guys I was getting them from was Bart. I'm sure you know Bart. Um, yeah, yeah, I know the names, but um, we, we weren't buying containers, but uh, you know, eventually we were going over in a van that could take, if I was going over, a, you know, twice a week on business, I'd go in the van that could take 12 pinballs, and I'd come back full. I could go without a single lead, you know, not knowing where any pinball machine was going to come from, and I could come back with a full van. And they're so passionate about their pinball that they're generally very well looked after. Yeah, they, they were, but by 97, I mean, Bart just basically told me, you know, I can't find any more for you. All my sources no, have dried I think, up. I think that's the problem. And also because, you know, we're hobby-based. Probably the downside to the traders that was that we were willing to pay possibly a little bit more than the traders were because we were just turning them over quickly, you know, making them work and, and presenting them, you know, nicely for, for sale. Um, but you know, we were buying mostly from, from homeowners um, who'd bought the machine from an operator and, and tidied it up. So we weren't buying sort of black containers. We, we, you know, we, we saw pretty much every single pinball machine we bought. Right, yeah, we, all the stuff we were getting was basically from operators. Because you knew when you got the machine, you know, back here, you could tell it was an operated game. You know, it wasn't... Yeah, all, absolutely. You know, I, I, you know there... there other traders who do a similar thing to me have been getting machines from Germany, and the quality just seemed to be going down and down and down. But the reason we stopped buying them from Europe was um, probably a couple of years ago, 2004, the UK really boomed both in prices and demand. And then Europe followed about a year afterwards, and the, the prices in Europe just got to be you know, too expensive to make it worthwhile bringing them back over. So now what do you do? Um, now we just really sort of pick them up on... You know, part exchanges. We got to, we got to this, and, and I do a lot of you know a lot of times. I'll just put buyer with seller and try and keep myself out of the loop. So we, you know, we hopefully we're, we're we're still sourcing machines for people and getting involved where we have to. But I really don't know where my next pinball machine is going to come from. Right, right. Well, that's good. Now, what part of uh, the UK are you in? And um, we're in Buckinghamshire, which is um, northwest of London. We're about thirty miles out of London, not nice and central. Okay, and now. How many people in the UK are doing this? I mean, you know, I know about I know about Phil and Pinball Heaven. We obviously know about you. Uh, are there? I mean, are there a lot of other people, or is it a pretty small group? Uh, it's very, very small. There's there's a few hobbyists who you know who openly buy and sell, and they they trade up machines and they'll buy them, clean them, and and sell them for a bit more. But as um as far as turnover goes, probably it's only myself and Pinball Heaven. You know who are, the, who are the I don't know the big hitters you'd probably say over there. 
Right. And is that just because there's, you know, it's not that large of a country, or there just isn't that many games to do it, you know, to, to buy and sell? Um, it's difficult. I, I think I, I think people would like to do it. I think the supply of machines is so unreliable, and the market can be really busy for one month, and the next it can go really, really quiet. And if you were doing it to pay your bills, it might be a, a bit of a, a stressful time. Right, right. Yeah, you know, I get that from, from Phil that he's really moved into the aftermarket parts thing to kind of, you know, to, I, I think to tide him over when, you know, his inventory may be low or something, you know, he, he's selling parts, you know. Yeah, so. well, Phil carries a fantastic selection of parts. Have you been um, to his place? If I've got a machine going out on a Thursday and it's Tuesday night, I know I can order a part on the Wednesday and I'll have it the next day, you know, no questions asked, you know, fantastic customer service, he's a... You know, we, we don't claim to be people heaven, and nor would we want to be. He's a he has a fantastic reputation for for what he does. But like you say, I think he's gone more. You know, he sells the new sterns. You know, in in the boxes, and and mostly parts. I think is his is his business now. Now, do you sell the new sterns at all? No, we don't. I, I did speak to Gary Stern at um at a trade expo um, a few years ago because uh, the official distributor of um, sterns in the UK is, is another company in London, but they have no internet presence, and you'd never stumble across them, so they were selling them to Pimble Heaven, who would sell them on, and I said to Gary Stern, you know, you're losing out on a massive, you know, home user market, but um, I think he'd given, obviously, exclusive rights to, to the company in London. And what, uh, what was Gary's response? Uh, but the exclusives had already been given to, uh, you know, to another company, and, you know, he didn't really, want, but they're, they're selling primarily to operators, and the operated market in the UK is pretty much non-existent now. Right. Right, so so you're saying that the operator market is this is much like it is over here, where the operator market has has more or less died, and the home market has really boomed. Uh, and you're saying it's it's pretty much done that in the UK also. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, certainly second-hand machines and things. You know, people are, are putting cheaper pinball machines in pubs. The licensing changes this year, meaning that just an enthusiast will be able to put a pinball in a pub without having to worry about getting a license, which is obviously great news. I think you'll start to see you know, more pinballs in pubs, and there's a smoking ban coming in in the summer. You won't be able to smoke in pubs. Again, I think people will be you know, looking for other things to do, so hopefully pinball will have you know, a, a massive resurgence. So the laws are changing, is what you're saying? But the, the laws on licensing, um, I think really no one's really paid too much attention to pinballs uh, you know, in regard to the licenses for years. But... Um, on paper, at least from July this year, they'll check they're changing, and you won't need a license. Huh? That's interesting. That's interesting. So now um, we, we just started to talk about shows. You have some involvement in in the UK shows too, right? Yeah, I think um, in 2004 we opened uh, our own premises just just literally for an open day, just to let people come along and see what we we're about, and you know, just let people play pinball all day. And we had a bar, you and a few beers, and. Um, 2004, I think, was the last year of um, the Mark 8 show, which was an another pinball show. Um, and after that, there just wasn't going to be a show. And, um, you know, at the time, you know, we were very, very heavily into it. We were we had the motivation, and we thought, you know, that there isn't going to be a show unless unless someone stands up and, and be counted. And that was that was me and my gang. Okay, and what and how is that going? Uh, fantastic. We did we've done, we did two years at um, at Aston Villa Football Club. Uh, right in Birmingham in the Midlands um, we had sponsorship from Nokia um, which was obviously very very handy you're talking about um, Nokia the you know, phone company 
yeah, being enthusiasts and you know not really you know wanting to throw tens of thousands of pounds at hiring a venue, it, it was fantastic to have a bit of a a bit of a sponsor um, stumping up a lot of the bill. Wait, wait, wait! How um, did you how so did you get done, that? We've done two years at Aston Villa. Um, and this year we're doing another one at an amusement park in, in Kettering, which is again in the Midlands. Wait, wait, how did you get Nokia to sponsor you? That's amazing. Uh, they, they were launching um, a pinball game for their N-Gage handset. I don't know, I don't know if you have the N-Gages over there. It's a, it's a game phone. Okay. And they had a game called Mile High Pinball, which they were launching, which tied fantastically well with our pinball show dates. Huh, that's amazing. And, and did they really, I mean, were they... A good sponsor or just like a casual sponsor? They were a fantastic sponsor. Um, I have to say that because without them, there probably would have been a show, but nothing like on the scale that we've done. So they got you um, a bigger venue and, and more of everything? Yeah. It, it was just nice to... Because it comes down to budget at the end of the day. And um, we, you know, we didn't know how big or good the show was going to be, but having the, the money element largely taken away meant we could go... You know, hell for budget. I said to people, if you want to take a pinball machine to this pinball show, I will personally drive and collect it. So I spent for two weeks before the show, and this year as well, driving around, um, collecting people's pinball machines. I must have done probably over 10,000 miles, I would imagine. And how many machines did you get for your show? Um, in 2005, we had 140-plus pinball machines. That's which good. Which was great for our, for our first show. Um, and then 2006, just gone, we had, um, I think there was 173 pinball machines, all under one roof, all set to free play. Huh, um, and now, how big was this facility that you, you held this in? Um, it was about 1,300 square metres, um, but it was full. We, we had exhibitors there with pool tables and machines and paraphernalia, memorabilia, so it was, um, it was, it was quite full. We, we couldn't get any bigger um, and still use the same venue. And how many people do you think, you know, paid emissions do you think you had? Um, I think we had close to a thousand people, which is, um, which is not bad for a, for a specialist market. It's the, it's the only show in the UK, but, you know, it's a lot smaller than America, but still a fair old journey for a lot of people. A thousand people, a thousand paid emissions is the dream of probably most of the shows in America. You know, most of the pinball <laughs> but, shows. But you have several. There's probably one a month, and there's, there's, they're scattered all around the country. It, it was basically this one or nothing. Um, we, you know, we, we had some great publicity. Um, you know, we, we were on Radio 2, which is the most listened to radio station in the UK. I was, I was interviewed live the evening before, uh, peak time, and, you know, it generated some good momentum. Wow, that's incredible. Now, how how long was the show? Was it like a weekend show or four days or what was it? It was, it was a week. Both both shows so far have been um, a Saturday and a Sunday. Right. Uh, the second year we had the luxury of a, of a Friday evening set up. The first year we um, we set up 140 pinball machines in just over three hours, I think. And what about, uh, did you have a tournament or anything? Yeah, Martin, um, from the, the Pinball News guys, they run um, a tournament at both shows. Um, and they're going to run one this year as well. I think they're making it a little, a little bit competitive. Uh, it's been very user-friendly for the first two years just to get people involved in competitive pinball. And I think now we're going to take it up a step and make it a bit more, a bit more serious. And who, uh, who supplied the machines for the tournament, or was it just... Um, well, mostly the collector's community. There, there aren't, because you know, there's, there's not a number of, of dealers in pinball machines, you know, other than Pinball Heaven and myself and a couple of other smaller ones. Um, it, it largely came from the collector's community. Obviously, we were able to offer free 
free collection, which was a, a huge help. And what about the distributor, the one Stern distributor that's in the UK? Were they involved with the show at all? Um, I think we then come back to good old-fashioned politics. Um, I read, obviously, the news groups in America, and there's, there's one in the UK as well, and it's a case of who's in with who, and probably better not to get too involved in that, but um, it came down to politics, and no, they weren't involved. Really? I, fi- yeah. I find that, you know, kind of kind of odd, you know. Um, as a matter of fact, that seems really strange, that they wouldn't want to get involved. Yeah, it's, um, it, it, you know, it comes down to the fact, you know, exchange rates and things and who was what offering what at what price and there were, there were grey imports appearing in the UK and people were getting upset about it and you know there, it was possible there was going to be grey imports at the pinball show but I wasn't going to turn down somebody's pinball machine that other people could play for free because it was a grey import right right and they and they just had wanted no part of that huh I, I, to be honest I, I didn't really get involved in it I, you know I, I had a, a guy who was speaking to their guy and you know, my guys would speak to their guys whatever and um you know, the bottom line was that they didn't come, but there's, it's all water under the bridge, isn't it? There's no hard feelings. Now, not to, to push on this too hard, but is how big of a how big of an issue is grey imports in Europe? Uh, now, it's a very big issue because there's new um, lead uh, components with lead in them in, the, in Europe. Um, it, it's a very, very big issue. Le- legal implications as well as you know franchise implications. I think it's um, probably a a finished thing now. I doubt very many grey imports will find their way into the UK. So you're saying that if say that you, you know, you Nick, you're in the UK, you buy a machine from from PinballSales.com that's located in New Jersey, and because that's a New Jersey distributor, that means that probably the machine has lead-based, you know, solder in it for all the components, and that's yeah. imported back to the UK or export it to the UK depending on you know how you want to look at it are you saying that that, that creates um, a, a big problem the, the lead based components it does now yeah I think Stern are allowing that and obviously they've got a slightly different board set now for the, for the European market and obviously the, the pin lead uh, displays um, but obviously you know most you know the, the, the American dealers wouldn't sell to you know outside the um, outside their own territories I don't imagine now are you saying that you guys don't, when you get a new Stern, you don't have a standard, you know, gas plasma, 100 and, you know, 20 volt uh, score display. No, it'll have the um, the European uh, pin LED or pin LED display. And why the, do the they game. have to go to that route? Yeah, it's... Um, Is it for what? It's, a, it's, a, it's a, another European law that, that affects us all, but obviously, you know, I, I think Stern have allowed for this and they, they've taken it into account. Right, right. So it's it, it basically you're saying those those displays just aren't allowed in the country anymore. It's already here, they are, but you you can't now import them into Europe. Anything was lead in the components. Huh. And it, what about for like a repair? Say you've got an Indiana Jones. Are you forced into buying a you know a, you know the pin LED style thing because of that? Um. Obviously. Well, it's already in Europe, but again, yeah, any, anything importing into Europe is subject to the new laws, so you, you probably have to, I think, do export to Europe will be aware of the, you know, the new laws and the implications of them. I don't, so, I don't see it as a major as a major hassle. I think all of us that are already in Europe have got stacks and stacks of lead solder that we'll continue to use for years. Right, and, and I mean, like, if you've got an old Gorgar and one of your displays dies, you're pretty much hooked into... Uh, 
you know, either going into old inventory or buying a, a pin LED type thing. Yeah, I think so. It's um, you know, there's there's a lot of secondhand parts and machines changing changing hands in the UK. Um, probably enough to keep us down for many many years, but eventually that does have implications with with the new law. That's interesting. That's interesting. I, you know, I I didn't even think about something like that, but you know that and that comes about to Gene Cunningham too, where he delivered. The Big Bang bars, God, it's almost been, you know, it's coming up on a year ago that the, the European guys got it to try and beat that lead, no lead law, I guess, you know. Yeah, that, that's that's exactly why. Um, I think it probably would have huge cost implications for Gene if he um, if he hadn't got them into Europe in time. Right, right. Now, have you uh, have you seen any of the Big Bang bars? I haven't. No, I haven't. Um, <laughs> played one or, or seen one in the flesh. I, I um. I do need to to add that to my list of things to do. Um, I, I I heard that nobody in the UK bought one. That's the rumor, at least. That you know, lots of surrounding like Germany and Belgium, and that those people bought them. But I heard nobody in the UK actually bought one. I don't know if that's true, though. I, I haven't heard of one in the UK. I have to admit, and chances are, if there was one, hopefully I would know about it. But um, if someone has got one, they've certainly kept it well under wraps. Right. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Well, you know, is there you know anything else that you're involved with in in pinball in the UK? <laughs> um, well, we've recently launched, or not to say we, the UK's recently launched um, Pinball League, which is obviously a, another step in the right direction. It was it was talked about long and hard for it would come up on the forums every year. You know, should we do a league? And this year, finally, we have launched a league. Um, there's different regions in the UK, sort of taking in London and the South East and Scotland and Wales and the North East and different areas, and hopefully we'll tie them all in and have a have a grand final with the, with the best competitors from each region at, at the pinball show. Huh, and now the league, is that a, com- uh, a fully competitive league or is it just a, a beer and ball league? Um, a bit of both really. It's maybe people who can um, who, who do fancy having a go and want to you know, strut their stuff. Um, and also it's a social meet. Um, quite clearly people will go to meet other like-minded people and, and others will go because they want to they want to be the best in the land. So it's a bit of both, which is you know, pretty much how how things generally work over here, which is good. And how good of a player are you, Nick? Um, I think I'm rubbish, but I think that's probably me being a modest uh, British man uh, <laughs> because I tend not to do too badly when I when I do play. Um, at the pinball show last year, I, I was so busy all weekend. Um, people asking for me, asking who you know asking me questions, and I had one game on one machine all weekend, um, and it only got beat. It was in a competition game. And it took um, a German guy who had about 20 games on the same machine and he did it with five minutes to go, so I was a bit... Now, do you have a competition in your shows for, like, best restored machines? Um, yeah, um, <laughs> there's so much going on, I, I tend to forget a lot. But um, at the first year, um, certainly there was, um, there was an award for the best turned out machine, and it actually went to... Um, a custom machine that a gentleman was building called Phil Dixon. He, he was building a Lex machine based on the TV series Lex. Um, and it wasn't finished, but he had um, you know, a unique sort of drive system and a, an LCD display and a cabinet and everything. And it was, um, it was just so different. that um, It was actually the sponsors, Nokia, who chose it. And they chose that as the, uh, the best in show. Huh, and now who can in place? Um, oh, I, I, to be honest, I can't remember. But this year... Um, or oh, sorry, last year, 2006, the, um, the same, I went round and asked all the exhibitors which they thought were the best turned out machines. They were allowed three votes, and um, 
one gentleman had two machines that just kept appearing again and again and again, and his name's Stan uh, Simpson, um, and he basically won the award for the machines, I think for a Judge Treadman, both beautifully turned out, and Stan also had a um, Twilight Zone with, I don't know, must be 60 plus modifications. 60? Including a DVD player that plays uh, episodes of the Twilight Zone in the place you're playing your game. Really? Huh. Now, did you have? Uh, do you have any pictures of that machine? I'm sure we can find you some. No, I uh, mean, do you, uh, I assume you have a website, right? Oh uh, yeah, we we've got um ukpinballshow.co.uk is the um, the pinball show website, uh, and my website is impossibly hard to spell and remember, which is quite handy when we're busy. It's it's pinballersanonymous.com. <laughs> yeah, that is a good one to spell. Yeah, absolutely. No, no one can remember it, and even less people can spell it. So we're um. We're quite when, it, when it's busy. We're quite glad for that. Right, right. Well, that's cool. I mean, um, are, do you have uh, do you have pictures of the Twilight Zone on your web page or on the show's web page? Um, I'm not sure there are. Um, I, I will certainly look into it, and I'll, I'll try and um, get some pictures of the Twilight Zone up on my website in, in the next day or so, so if people want to check back. So or, you're saying that if you hit a certain switch on the playfield, it would go to the DVD player and select a particular track of of what episode or music or whatever? <laughs> um, to be honest, I think it just play. When you launch the ball, it just playing. A, it's a little TV, a little screen. I think it's half inch color screen, and it just plays episodes of the um, of the Twilight Zone. I'm not really sure how it how it works, but I, I will endeavour to find out, and I'll um, I'll perhaps post something up on the news group when I've got some some pictures for you. Now, where did he actually mount the little small TV screen? Um, I saw actually when it came to the pinball show last year, it was it was before the TV screen had, had made the appearance. So I'd have to check with them um, okay. with Dan to see what he's done. But um, I think it already had forty mods or you know forty plus modifications, and it is it, carried on from there. But it's certainly um, fairly Twilight Zone, I think personally. It's, That's amazing. That is just totally amazing. That is actually so cool. You know, I, I <laughs> would have. It just never really crossed my mind. Now you got like. Now everybody's going to hear this, and I'm going to go to pinball shows, and people are going to have you know little LCD screens, you know, with, you know whatever, <laughs> Maybe you know, Indiana Jones in their you know segments. Yeah. So, uh, you know, the trouble you're causing here. <laughs> it's well, something just, as busy as a Twilight Zone. I haven't got a clue where they found the space for that, especially with all the other modifications. But um, he certainly you know he turns his machines out very very well. Right. Obviously, Twilight he's uh, he's gone the extra hundred miles and made it a little bit different. Well, that's pretty well, I've cool. I've got first tips when he gets to see. Now, is there anything else you'd like to add? Uh, I don't think so. Just, you know, for us, for us in the UK and I'm sure all around the world, we're, you know, the, the information that you know you guys and people on the news groups and things have, have offered the community, you, you, you might not see it, but every day we're, you know, we're referring to the to the technical guides and, and guidance on the groups, and it's a it's a fantastic resource and probably largely goes unthanked. But um, you know, we, we do appreciate all the work you're doing for the hobby and. You know what? What I do in the UK is just a, a tiny, tiny fraction of what's going on in the world, and you know it's, it's a great hobby. I'm I'm glad to be part of it. Well, cool. Well, yeah, that's that's great, and we, we appreciate that. And you know that's it's good to hear. And I, I'm glad that you know, you know, it's, it used to be like I said when we were buying containers from the UK, it seemed like the prices of games there were so cheap. I mean, you know, you could buy a Twilight Zone. Or an Adams family for you know five hundred dollars U.S., which would you know now that be what a thousand pounds, 
you know, yeah, just, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, and it just seemed like, you know, then I guess you guys have now caught up on prices. You yeah, know? you can, um, you know, you hear tales of operators throwing Twilight Zones in skips when they were when they were finished with in the in the, in the rubbish, um, but now, you know, they're, they're changing hands for for more sensible money. We, you know, we're we're dealing hopefully with the with the affordable end of the market, but but even still, you know, you, you'll pay now a thousand pounds to probably close to two thousand dollars for a reasonable Twilight Zone. Um, possibly more for an Adams family than the Monster Bashes and Circus Voltaires, you know, up from there. But you can still buy an entry-level dot matrix machine for for five hundred pounds, so you know, under a thousand dollars. Right, right. And you said that uh, typical Adams. What did you say? A typical Adams trade store. Um, Adams family is probably um, from a thousand to fifteen hundred pounds. pounds. So probably from two to three thousand dollars. That's pretty much what they are here. They might be a, a smidget less. I mean, but not a lot less. You know what I no, mean? No, it's um, you know, it's it's trends though. You know, it, it can go really quiet and become a buyer's market for a while, and things become affordable, and then it seems to have a, a second wind, and you know, prices pick up. But um, I, I have I have seen some more pimples for sale in Europe, and they do seem to have. I think they've they've ridden their wave of you know good prices for a couple of years, and hopefully settling down. So hopefully there'll be some more supply lines into the UK before too long. Now, how are the prices in Germany? Are they, you know, fairly low, or have they gone up? Um, I don't get too involved in it. Um, for, for a number of years, a lot of the UK top dealers had, you know, had some good deals with containers coming into the UK from Germany, and they could afford to write off 20% or more of it being scrapped because they were getting stuff so cheap. But the Germans have obviously cottoned on that, you know, the UK was a buyer's market, and the prices have changed accordingly. But um, from what I understand, a lot of the German machines went to Poland, which became like another big operator's market, um, and they were already tired machines when they left Germany, and now they're coming from Poland to England and not looking too pretty at all, really. Oh, right, right. Well, cool. Well, hey, Nick, I, I really appreciate the call and you letting us talk to you and uh, give us an idea of, of what's going on in other parts of the world as far as, as pinball. Uh, it sounds like, you know, you guys really got it all together. I mean, you know, it's... Um, you know, over here, yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, it's a bigger country, and there's more shows. But it, you know, you, you guys sound like you got, you got a good handle on the shows, and and you know, and and buying and selling games. You know, and that's yeah. Good, hopefully, that's we're good. we're keeping it alive in the UK. It's uh, you know, it can struggle or it can it can do really well. But you know, we, you know, we're involved in a, I don't know what sort of scale really. Sometimes it seems too much. Other times you can never do enough. But um, oh. it, it's great to be involved with it, and you know, long, long may it continue. One thing I forgot to ask you was. What about electromechanicals, you know, EMs? Are they, you know, I talked to Phil about that, and he said the market for that is just dead. You know, do um, you agree I, with I'm that? Not something I'm not really familiar with. I, I know there are people that do restore electromechanical machines, and, and they do charge top money. I don't know how many they sell and how often, but, you know, you see you see them changing hands on eBay for next to nothing, and then you see them, you know, fully restored for a thousand pounds. I went to another a jukebox show, actually, with... Um, you know, some cheap dot matrix pins, hoping to sell a couple, and there was a guy with some old wood rails for, you know, many, many hundreds of pounds, you know, more than the dot matrix, and I thought, perhaps I'm doing the wrong thing, but um, I don't, I don't know, I actually rent um, some space on the farm to a couple of guys who restore electromechanical machines, um, and they, you know, they, they tinker along, again, just a hobby, but um, they're, they're very, very passionate about their own thing. Right, but you're saying that the, the EM... The EM collectors are a much smaller group than the than the dot matrix collectors. I would say so. Yeah, I think it's a it's a, it's a much smaller and much specialised market. Yeah, I think for the new buyers, you know, mostly they're you know probably people in their late twenties and thirties and onwards. And um, 
you know, they're buying the you know the solid state and the dot matrix pins. Right now, what about the '80s solid state stuff? Is that how popular is that? Um, again, um, they, they don't seem to, to fetch any money, so no one's going to want to really be dealing in them as such because there's just not the not the value really in, in turnover. Even um, like System Eleven stuff, you know, high speed fire, you know, Elvira and the Party Marchers. Even that stuff you're saying is kind of yeah. You know, the, the popular titles like Elvira obviously you know do well. Um, the, the guys here actually bought a um, bought a high speed, and it's it's a very very good condition, and it went three hundred pounds, so so under six hundred dollars um, from eBay. One bid, and they and they got it for that. And you know, to me, it's you know, it, it might have been a, a speculative punt, but you know, I've seen the machine, and it's. It's certainly very nice and, and not a lot of money. I don't think the guy wants to sell it, but you can, I think if you're into that era of game, you can you can pick up some great bargains. Right, right. Okay, well, cool. All right, I just wanted to cover all the bases, just, you know, why not? I got you on the phone. You know? <laughs> <laughs> why not, indeed. Okay, well, hey, thank you very much. No worries. Nice to speak to you, and hello to everybody on, on that side of the pond. Okay, well, thank you, Nick. Cheers for that. Okay, well, thank you, Nick. Again, I really appreciate that. And, um... It was fun talking to to these guys, you know, kind of get a different perspective of of what's going on in in other parts of the world uh, with pinball. Uh, I I think it's kind of neat to kind of get that because you know we're not the center of the world. Um, to kind of to backtrack a little bit uh, when when Phil was talking about the Big Bang Bar, um, I think uh, everybody's going to be really quite surprised in the next month or so. Um, and and we may actually have some some news about the Big Bang Bar next week. Um, I I think it's really going to be interesting that um, uh, that dream is. It looks like it's actually going to come true. That that Gene's really going to make it happen. In in you know a lot of people didn't say that that was going to you know ever going to happen, but um, it, it looks like it's it's coming around the corner. Um, but anyways, that's. Uh, that's all. That's a another episode of uh, of Topcast, and um, you know I don't know where our next show will be. Hopefully it'll be uh, maybe a, we'll do a weekend show. We just got to see uh, what Norm's up to, if he's uh, willing to help me or not. Uh, what's in his busy schedule? Um, hope to talk to everybody real real soon about pinball, pinball restoration and repair, and anything pinball related here at marvin3m.com slash topcast. Good night.